Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. Just say no to family values. This is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? And good afternoon and welcome to Wax Poetic here on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. I'm one of your co-hosts this afternoon, R.C. Weslowski. And I'm your other co-host, Kevin Spence. And in the studio this afternoon, we are very excited to have Benjamin Hartwig. Hello, Hi, Benjamin. Hello. Nice Hi. to have you here. Good to be here. Good, good. Uh, so we'll get you to kick things off, please, with a poem from your book. This poem is called Drunk Driving. There was a time you drove home drunk but didn't consider it as such for you were going overseas in a matter of weeks. Come to the drop-in center, the man at church said. It'd be good for the boys to see a man in uniform. The street kids ran from the uniform until you changed into something else and walked to the rink together, jeans crinkling in the cold. The three of you chose to wear women's skates because you could. The picks at the front made the three of you fall all over the ice. The halogen lights made sure everyone saw. The two boys thought it was funny as hell. The bruises on your knees didn't matter because you were leaving for Afghanistan in a matter of days and the boys were used to bruises. You woke early, the snow was deep. Your mother made tea for the drive. The boys didn't want you to go. The night before they held onto your arms, you felt like a father. You liked them and skating too. Not the idea of being a father quite yet. You got on the plane. In your memory, it was still dark. In your memory, you didn't fall asleep at all. In your memory, the boys weren't used to being left behind. Wow. Such uh, kind of tenderness framed in the ideology of masculinity, church, masculinity, church, military, all these like big, heavy frames. And then it, it has such a tender center to it. Yeah, I would say that some of those... Some of those things um, broke into my life in spite of the, some of the institutions that I was a part of that maybe didn't encourage um, that kind of behavior. So Yeah, yeah. and how, how did that happen, would you say? Or... Um, I don't know. It was almost like I just thought I would show up at this... Um, yeah, this after-school program for kids in the inner city and that I would be offering something. Um, but in it, the end result was that I ended up being impacted by, by these boys and their joy and then saw the impact 
of my decision to go to war, how that impacted them in turn as well. So just the idea of people not sticking around in their life and not mm -hmm. um, continuing in relationship with them. So, yeah. Wow. And so that, uh, how did poetry and war come together in your life? And uh, is that the way, a way for dealing with it or how is it? Yeah, I think um, I certainly did not read poetry growing up. Um, I could have cared less in, in school about the poetry unit. I probably wasn't there or paying attention. Um, and when I was in Afghanistan, I didn't think I'm going to write about this one day. I didn't think of myself in those terms. It was more um, when I came back and years after, and I didn't necessarily feel like I had the... the the ability to construct a larger narrative around my words and um, in prose, but poetry, just because of its brevity and sort of, um, yeah, allowed me sort of a bush trail into an emotion that I think I was able to work with that time. At that time, yeah. And are you still able? Are you still writing about that? Like, how old is this book? This book came out. Oh, now I'm even forgetting. It's 2019. It came out the fall of 2017. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how many of the poems in the book are dealing with the subject matter of your relationship to war? I would say, um, I would say all of them. Okay. Not all of them are explicitly about war, but they are about violence, um, mm -hmm. violence at home, and violence overseas, and yeah, various kinds of violence. So. Mm. And how has violence then impact aside from going to war, how has violence uh, as a man impacted your life and your writing? Um, in the book, I talk about some of my earliest exposures to violence and then how that thread continues into the military and afterwards as well. So, I mean, violence, violence that I've witnessed, um, participated in, um, has been a big part of my life. And I think a big part of my writing is an attempt to reconcile who I want to be with previous actions and also um, yeah thinking about different forms of violence not just military violence yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. go ahead I, I know some writers in order to g gain a critical distance from experience I mean n not only does it take time but sometimes um, philosophy or various thinkers mm -hmm. help mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. kind of understand that experience and I'm curious to know um, in your kind of um, what, bush, bush trail <laughs> were there some uh, philosophers or thinkers or um, ideas that helped you uh, contextualize everything? Yeah, one of them more recently that I think has given me language to some of the things I was reaching for um, a book in particular by Judith Butler called Frames of War mm. When is Life Grievable? Mm. And in that book Judith Butler is asking which lives does a text present as being worthy of grief and which lives are not being presented as worthy of grief? And if so, how come? And I think it has helped me to think about military violence, which I write about in my um, personal writing practice, also critical mm -hmm. um, for my PhD program. But uh, yeah, just to think about Canada as a nation as well and the various forms of violence um, that exist within Canada as a colonial state. So. Mm -hmm. And uh, from your experience, how does the narrative that's being presented to the public um, conflict with what you've uh, experienced? Um, I mean, I think Canadians 
are often quite quite critical of our American neighbors for being a um, militaristic society. But I think Canada is more militaristic than people often um, often acknowledge or want to acknowledge. And I think that's one of the things that I'm thinking about in my work and in my um, critical writing. How how do we as a nation think about um, violence overseas and in Canada? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how does that uh, militarization um, express itself um, unbeknownst to most people yeah yeah certainly and i mean i think even one of our one of canada's most famous poems um in flanders fields and i mean i disagree with a lot of a lot of people on this and um i disagree with veterans on this as well but i think of it as a, a an extremely militaristic poem that uh is sort of foundational for canada and i i'd like to interrogate things like that more right. so yeah Hmm. Um, there was a question I was going to ask, but I can't remember. So was, was it about um, uh, what's that Latin for? It's good. It's fitting and glorious to die um, for your Dolce country. Dolce et <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, actually, I didn't have a. It was the thought was that you know Canada likes to. I think we do our uh, a lot of our uh, warring or battle um, in boardrooms. And there's deals that are made, and uh, behind the scenes, whether it's uh, you know making those those tanks or militarized vehicles for Saudi Arabia, and then we don't mm-hmm. think about where they're going to be used, or mm-hmm. or a bombardier making all you know or jets, like all that sort of stuff. I mm-hmm. think you know we mm-hmm. we like to distance ourselves that way as a nation, and uh, you know keep our hands not covered in blood, and but do it in the boardrooms and have it where you know away from television and stuff. Yeah, the the military industrial mm-hmm. complex is sneaky, and it just mm-hmm. doesn't. Um um, a war overseas is only one manifestation of that culture, and there are quieter forms of that culture which are equally damaging. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then the con- the conflict. I heard a s- news story yesterday. I can't remember the town that that factory is in, but their whole thing was the mayor of that town is like petitioning to not stop making those because all those jobs would be lost yeah. in that town, and yeah. that's like a whole other thing. And it's like. Well, what the hell? It's like, and my, my first reaction is good. Well, good, get a different job or something like that. But I mean, it's far more complex than that. But, mm-hmm. so. And I think, I mean, question of people's livelihoods, and I mean, these are these are difficult things. And I often think about that in relation to soldiers, and a lot of um, sometimes anger directed at soldiers themselves. And yes, mm-hmm. I can I can understand why people are angry, but at the same time. Um, the institutions have more say than the people participating within those institutions. But mm-hmm. it's a tricky thing because, I mean, if those people weren't there as well. So, yeah, I don't know. These are really tough. And there's reasons. many different reasons why people go yeah. to the military. Totally. You know, totally. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, but let's hear another poem yeah. from mm. you, please. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have any cheery poems. That's okay. Today, so, um. <laughs> it's a great day outside. It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this poem is... Maybe we'll just give a brief preamble. Um, it is about a double suicide bombing near the end of my time in Afghanistan. Um, first uh, uh, bombing was a Canadian vehicle and um, where two soldiers died, uh, a number of people were injured, and then after, um, this was in a fairly populated Afghan neighborhood, um, 
And as anyone would, it was their neighborhood. They were curious about what was going on. They gathered around the cordon, um, and a second suicide bomber walked in on foot and blew himself up. And um, I think any time we're exposed to violence, not just military violence, but uh, at that scale or even smaller scale, we don't necessarily know what to do with it or how to absorb it, and I certainly did not. And so... um, I tried to push it aside for a long time, and it just came up in different ways, in Mm. in nightmares, um, in physical issues. And so this poem is an attempt to reconcile um, my post-war self, where I was living in Edmonton, um, strangely seeing a lot of coyotes in the city, with where my mind was returning to frequently, which was the site of the suicide bombing in Afghanistan. Food habits of coyotes as determined by examination of stomach contents. 1. In northern Louisiana, the coyote eats persimmon, flesh sweet, skin taut. And in winter, coyotes across America eat more rabbit than any time of the lunar year. In central Alberta, the coyote eats snowshoe hare, the kind that lives behind the Anglican church near your house and turns white after first frost. Two, the Muzen calls the city to prayer again. Like a flock of sparrows in flight, the convoy crosses the river into Kandahar. You wait. Three, A pack of six coyotes wanders across the street, street lights and falling snow. You want to know what things they've eaten in half-lit alley tracks, what breath consumed. Four. Murmuration of muscle like sparrows over the North Saskatchewan River swallows across the Argandab River. Words like glomerulus a cluster of nerve endings, blood vessels, words that signify what has been contained, what spilled. Mm-hmm. Five, you alone were on the street when the last coyote dipped head, tucked tail, and folded into winter brush. Still, it snowed. Six, simile and metaphor tracks to get around the fact that the suicide bomber was effective, that coyotes eat what they can, that a man's head was split bright like persimmon, Mm. and a foot was resting on the road like a bird with a broken wing. Oh my god, that's heartbreaking and and gorgeous at the same time. It's a great ending. Amazing. uh, Yeah. <clears throat> the the return to persimmon and and uh, and black and bird and like I, a bird. I appreciate you both saying that, and it's also one of the things I struggle with. Like, should um, should writing about war be beautiful? Like, is the aestheticization mm. of um, conflict and a conflict in which I was not myself injured or harmed? Is that physically injured or harmed is that a good thing or should yeah i would say definitely like yes in the sense of this is something you want us to look at Mm -hmm. so to speak yeah and i think one of the ways you're kind of keeping us kind of 
um, looking at this scene, um, fixated on this in, in a sense, is the, the gorgeousness of the language that holds us there. And then, you know, and then the heart flip flops and goes yeah. between like, oh my God, this is horrifying. And then, oh, you know, there's this beauty around it. Yeah. I, I, that's what I would say. Mm. Um, and maybe sometimes the beauty helps reveal the horror mm-hmm. because you come up with something that's so um, wonderfully descriptive and then it's maybe it sinks in a little deeper and then you go, if you you know if you're reading poetry, I'm assuming you're reflecting on some of the stuff you're reading, and then you go, "Holy crap! What am I? Wait a second! That was just that's a body part. That's this and that, you know." And it's wow. Yeah, it's like it's f- funny though. I don't have have either of you seen um, Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. yeah, which oh, I yeah. think is can be <laughs> like pretty clearly labeled um, an anti-war film, and I think that's what what Coppola mm-hmm. was aiming for. But then you have um, 30 years of soldiers afterwards watching Apocalypse Now, not for its an- anti-war message, but for the sort of... Um, the helicopters and the helicopters and violence and, yeah. and the militarism. And I think about that in relation to my own work. Like, I, mm. I just... I don't want it used in that way, but mm-hmm. once a work is out there, you're no longer in control of how it's used. But I, yeah, I, yeah. I guess I hope if a soldier were to read that this or my writing, that they wouldn't, um, that they would be forced to think about uncomfortable things and not just look at the violence within it. Or yeah. So. Have you done readings uh, with other for other soldiers? Or? I have actually, and it was a very. Um, very strange experience um some people thanked me for what i said even though they disagreed with it i talked um about guantanamo bay i talked about omar Khadr. i talked about things that i felt would not be taken well but um i thought it was important to Mm -hmm. read there when i was invited so um yeah no but it definitely felt felt a little strange so yeah (laughs) Cool. Um, well, one of the other things you were talking about, the movie, I, I, damn if I can't remember the name of the director, but they were talking about um, even so-called anti-war movies, that they were basically said there are no anti-war movies because of the images, yeah. that there's always some yeah, sort yeah. of inherent underlying patriotism mm-hmm. or or this idea like of, of sacrifice for a greater good and, mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff that plays out regardless, even if you're talking about all the horrible suffering that people on all sides are experiencing it just mm-hmm. it just doesn't come out that way yeah that's very interesting it was interesting to watch uh, hamlet at push recently not to mm-hmm. not to um contradict what i said earlier keep all your poems right the way you write me i love them but it was interesting to see hamlet at push with the end where there's all the slaughter and the killing that was done <clears throat> in a very different way i'm not gonna give any spoilers but it was done in the most minimal mm. non-violent way you can imagine which was very kind mm. of effective and interesting but that i think works in the sense of you know what to expect mm-hmm. so mm. when you're bringing something else in that has less of a history behind it mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, Afghanistan, war poems in Canada, let's say. Um, although, speaking of, war poems are a fine tradition of yes. war poems, I say in my <laughs> most ironic voice possible. Um, have you read much of the, like, World War I poets, and how, how, how do you read those poems? What stands out for you? Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I have read, like, 
a fair bit of poetry from the First World War, not a whole lot of Canadian First World War poetry. I mean, I'm thinking like Charles G.D. Roberts, and I mean, a lot of it was fairly um, jingoistic, mm -hmm. I think, the, the stuff that I read. But I, I do turn to to a poet like um, Wilfred Owen, and the, you mentioned it previously, like Dolce at Decorum Est, and when I have taught war poetry I often place in Flanders Fields alongside that poem. They were both um, soldiers who witnessed the utter devastation of trench warfare and gas attacks, um, and yet they produced poetry that could not be sort of further apart on the spectrum. And that really interests me. How do two people see the same things, experience the same things? They both died um, on Armistice Day hmm. as as the, the bells were ringing to announce the end of the war. Um, Wilfred Owen's parents receive a knock on the door and said, your son is dead. And I mean, John McRae died as well. So how do these two people produce something so dissimilar when they have seen the same things? And that really, yeah, hmm. interests me and bothers me at the same time. Because it just, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, where do you find the common, commonality? You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your PhD about? I am in the English department working in... Um, post-war and conflict studies, um, primarily post-9-11 from a um, Canadian perspective. Mm -hmm. yeah. And is post-war conflict study, and that, that include, that's an interdisciplinary kind of area? No, or? it's, um, I mean, I am looking at, at poetry, at film, at mm. um, journalism, fiction, but uh, yeah, primarily textual, written text, mm -hmm. yeah. Is poetry your main outlet for writing, or do you do journalism or blogs or whatever? Yeah, I've done a um, little bit of everything. Um, I've written yeah a, a number of um, personal journalism pieces or um, one more sort of traditionally journalistic piece, and then I'm working on a novel at the moment. So. Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, how about uh, sharing another poem with us? Yeah. It's uh, almost, uh, we're almost out of time. Wow. Okay, uh, so just, this yeah. one more poem? Well, well, we'll see. We might be able to get two. I just wanted to let people sure. know if they're tuning sure, sure, in. Sure. Um, you're listening to Wax Poetic at Coa on Co-op Radio at CFRO 100.5 FM. And our guest today is Benjamin Hertig. Reading from their book, uh, Slow War. Poem for the last time you wore your uniform. His body weighed more in the remembering than you thought a body could. When he was buried, you didn't want to be wearing your uniform. You didn't want to be wearing anything, but you shaved one last time, scraped the skin around your throat, and drove the hot highway. It didn't feel right. Things were too green, too overgrown, rank with weeds and heat. The cameras were out, the news crews, the soldiers and parents and cousins. Everyone threw lumps of dirt into the hole, a cricket jumped in. You wanted winter again, a white sheet over everything. You didn't even get drunk when the funeral was over and ten years later. Your dad found the uniform in a black garbage bag at the back of a closet. Forty dollars in the pocket, two twenties, the old paper kind, 
four dollars for each year that had passed. Yes. <laughs> Speechless. <laughs> which is amazing, which is great, which is wonderful. And um, yeah, um, earlier uh, we asked if you were doing readings and you said, I'm sorry, if, I hope you don't mind me no, sharing this with all of Canada, um, the world, it, the world <laughs> that uh, I asked about readings. You said, no, I'm trying to do fewer so I can write more. And yes, I mean, I, I feel torn in that statement of yours because part of me is like, oh my God, like m do more readings. But um, of course you need to write your yeah. novel and that's a huge undertaking. Yeah. And I mean, when I'm asked to do readings, it really is an honor. So I try not to, um, I try not to turn down readings when I can because I do feel it is a gift for me to be able to share um, time and space with people. So mm -hmm. it's not like I don't, it's, it's important. And I always appreciate hearing other people read as well. Um, yeah. So. Cool. And you did a reading recently, or you read Rilke yeah. at the Dead Poets Reading Series of the Vancouver Public Library. And I'm curious to know the um, overlap or connection or interplay between the poetry of Rilke and your own poetry. I mean, I think uh, I've only, as I said at the reading, come to Rilke more recently, but I just appreciate the um, the directness with which he approaches um, the idea of God or other people. Um, he's just very, I think, very straightforward, and I appreciate, um, yeah, I just appreciate the directness of the language. Mm. And is there a spiritual faith that informs your own poetry? Yeah, there is, and I would say it has changed a lot. I grew up sort of quite um, quite conservative, and a lot of the militarism in, in the book, I think, is a reflection of that, um, both theologically and, and politically. But I, yeah, I think I am... I'm not interested in a f any kind of faith that um, demands violence of mm. its, uh, yeah, participants. So, mm. yeah, I think my perspectives have changed a fair bit. Mm. <laughs> um, let's let's get one more from you. Sure, please. This, this poem is called "A Poem Is Not Guantanamo Bay," and it's about um, meeting former Guantanamo detainee Omar Khadr in Edmonton and um, becoming friends with him. A poem is not the man who crushed mint leaves into milk and offered you lentils while you watched with rifle in hand. It's not the door you kicked open or the woman whose face was uncovered. The fruit on her table, the flap of skin, the white-throated fluttering chicken. It's not the night you drove home drunk. It's not the diesel fuel and burning shit that gets some scrawled on plywood. A poem is not a dream that refuses to stop the man with a hole in his foot, the highway, the shards of Corolla, the man with a hole in his foot. A poem is not guilt. A poem is not a way out of a poem. A poem isn't even a decade later when you are not a soldier and he is not in jail, when Guantanamo Bay is mostly forgotten when you meet for food at a local cafe. It's not the musk of yerba mate, the bowl of rice and chickpeas you share. A poem is not a way out of a poem, but the bowl before you is a bowl. 
and the chickpeas cooked only minutes ago. The table is next to a window. City trucks swathe gravel off the street. A dog barks. It's slowly growing dark outside. <laughs> it <Wow>. is. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being mm -hmm. our guest today. Tell us a bit quickly about the book and where people might be able to get it and the publisher and that sort of thing. Yeah, so the book is um, published by mm -hmm. McGill Queen's University Press. Um, you can get it through um, them or you can order it through Chapters or your local bookstore, preferably. Um, yeah, right. I'm sure a few copies are will soon be ending up in thrift stores. So <laughs> yeah. We were just talking about that a couple of weeks ago of, of the feeling of uh, you oh, know right. have, putting your book out and getting it published and yeah. it out there, and then you go to a used bookstore and you yeah. you find it there, yeah. and it's like, well, do they not like it or they just yeah. want to share it with somebody yeah, else yeah, now? Yeah. Yeah. Have you had that experience at all? Not yet, but it has gone into its third printing, mm. and I, oh, it's wow. being taught. Um, has been taught in a couple of university classes, so those students did not choose to read it. They were forced to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm sure some people will be um, discarding their um, <laughs> books accordingly. So. Well, they'd be fools to do so, <laughs> I think. Um, if people want to get in touch with you and you want them to get in touch with uh, you yeah. online, is yeah. there a, where can they do that? Um, on my website, which is just my name, um, benjaminhertwig.com. They can contact me through there. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank to you be here so much. Yeah. Uh, anything to announce there? Uh, tonight's Entanglement, a poetry reading. It's the 30th, right? Yes, that's tonight. And that's um, at the, the Native Education Center. And that's uh, Cecily Nicholson, Billy Ray Belcourt, uh, Junie DeSille, Jay Simpson. So we've got four poets reading tonight yes. there, which looks very cool. And I believe um, Mercedes Ang is reading somewhere tonight as well. Um, <laughs> well, the people that? can look for it. Yes, look All for right. it. <laughs> look There's for a it. lot of stuff to do tonight. There's Go so and do it. There's so much poetry happening. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Benjamin, for being our guest today. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. I'm R.C. Weslowski. I'm Kevin Spence. And No Apologies Necessary is coming up next. You've been listening to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what? So what? So what? So what? So what? So what?